This is Rainbow Six Radio, bringing you the next generation podcast for talk, news, and information for all things Rainbow Six. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Rainbow Six Radio. This is going to be episode eight for us, and we have lots of stuff to talk about today. Of course, what is going on in the world right now is huge as we are all sitting at home being impacted by coronavirus. Uh, and that is definitely impacting both Rainbow Six, as we'll talk about shortly, and the community of players that engage in it. Uh, so, you know, just kind of like as we sit at home and the world has sort of changed around us, Captain, how, how are you dealing with everything? I'm getting through it, getting through it. This has been a really rough week. Um, you know, our state has, you know, recently come up with a bunch of you know, bands and stuff and making it, you know, difficult to go out and enjoy normal lives. It's a uh, very, you know, it's disrupting for everyone, um, you know, and every other state's going through the same three. I mean, the entire world's going through this. Um, some places have it worse than others, um, but it is definitely a very impactful situation. Um, you know, I don't know about you, uh, but I, this is, this is my first pandemic, uh, <laughs> living through it. So, you know, <laughs> yeah, I, I wasn't around for the 1918 Spanish flu to see how that one went, but you weren't? Uh, no, no. Uh, uh, must have uh, it by a couple of decades or yeah, a, a couple <laughs> anyway. <laughs> um, it is really interesting to see the way everything has just sort of been kind of flipped on its head. And and we'll get into some of the points here uh, in a minute, but it has definitely affected not only the Rainbow Six Siege community, but also the development team and the game itself. And we'll get nice. into uh, sort of the specifics of that as, as we kind of uh, go ahead in the uh, episode here. So let's go ahead and transition into this week's pro tip. This one is actually going to be for a casual map. It's not going to be something that's in ranked, and that's for Yacht. Uh, this is one that I found that was really interesting. And, um, Captain, you and I kind of work this one together, right, when it comes mm, up? Uh, because yep. it, it's best taken advantage of by a couple of people working it in combination. You can work it by yourself, yep. but when you have a buddy kind of working it with you, uh, it really works well. So this is for uh, the yacht map, as I had just mentioned, and this would be if the objective is the sub room. Uh, so what you're going to want to do for this is you're going to want to take Hibana. And using Hibana, uh, what you're going to do is the thing when you use Hibana on sub room is you traditionally attack one of the two trap doors, maybe even both of the hatches from above. Uh, but this technique is going to handle things just a little bit differently. So she's got three charges, and we're going to place uh, each of the three charges in a different spot. The first one we're going to do is, so if you're on the outside of subroom, uh, you're facing that, so you have a the door that would be to the left if you kind of go down like that snowy ramp, or if you go to the right. right, which would be the other side, which has the, uh, there's a couple of steps there, there's also a ladder on that side, uh, so that would be the door on the right. What you can do, let's talk about the door on the left first, is if mm -hmm. you fire your Hibana charge, to the left of that door on that wall. They'll typically have that reinforced. That's okay. You're gonna go ahead and put that up there. Uh, it's gonna be to the left of the door in the upper third of the panel. And what happens when you blow that charge, typically people would want to open it lower so they could get in. We're not worried about getting in. You're opening up a line of sight that goes all the way back to the door 
that the defenders have to use to come into subroom from. So you're going to pin the traffic coming in and out of that door using that sight line. And then for your operator, they're going to be stationed kind of on that outer walkway. Uh, so it's up high and they can see right through that. The second right. position that you're going to place your Hibana charges, if you go over to the door on the right, so this would be the one that has the ladder on that side. And if you go about where the ladder is, maybe just a little bit more forward of that position, again, you're going to place your Hibana charge to the left of that door also. But this one's going to be kind of as far left as you can get it. And again, in that upper third, blowing this hole is now going to allow you to get, I would say, about a 75% line of sight on whoever is hiding behind that, I don't know what to call it, that countertop or that box or whatever that's over in that deep pocket corner. That's where they right. typically will hide. Between those two positions that you've now blown open, you've denied anybody coming in through the main door, and you've also denied anybody hiding behind that countertop, which is the most common spot to hide in this objective for cover. So now you can kind of get them on either angle. This is where working with somebody else comes in handy is holding down both of those sight lines. Now, of course, with that third remaining Habana charge, you can then go ahead and use that on either of the two trapdoors that are above the objective. I do recommend using it. Uh, this would be the one that would, I guess, maybe be to the north or uh, I, I don't have the cardinal directions up in front of me, but it would be the one that is uh, in line with the door, the right of the two doors. And uh, if you pop that one, you've now basically opened up so that there's almost no safe place for them to go. Right. Really, the only safe places they have to go now are incredibly awkward angles, right? Mm -hmm. And doing this, you can have two, three people, if you've got somebody working the hatch, just totally lock that site down. The only thing you have to watch for when you're doing this is you do have to be wary. You want to control uh, that that master bedroom site, which is the room that the hatches are in, because if if defense controls that room, they can do hop outs on those windows and take you out while you're looking through those other angles. Uh, you also have to be slightly aware of somebody actually going all the way up to cockpit and maybe, you know, breaking down those doors and doing a run out and kind of shooting on you from above. Uh, so those are some things you need to be aware of. But you can totally lock down that objective using these angles. And I think what we're going to go ahead and do for this one is just to kind of help everybody visualize what we're talking about, we're gonna actually put together just a short little video demonstration of what that looks like using those angles, opening those up so you can see exactly where we're talking about and see exactly what sight lines those hold down. But I do know that when Yacht comes up and we are on attack, we see defense get the subroom rotation, Captain, you and I get ridiculously happy because we yep. know what's about squeal to go down. Squeal for joy. We <laughs> squeal for joy every single time. Yeah. It's. I will say it, it's gotten to the point now where anytime we're on yacht, I try to take uh, you know some with a DMR um, just so I can get that extra impact because you know it's. It's if you, if you can get those headshots, you know, you open everything up. There's no place for them to run, and really, it's like shooting fish in a barrel. Definitely. Very, very fun trick to do. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. So um, going back on how things, because of just uh, coronavirus, are starting to impact things, um, Pro League this season has officially been canceled. Um, and they released a statement. Um, so... The health and well-being of our teams, developers, players, and partners is our first priority. 
We have taken the difficult decision to cancel May's Rainbow Six Pro League season finals in Sao Paulo, Brazil, as well as the APAC finals uh, LAN event through which the teams from the Asia Pacific region would have qualified for the season um, 11 finals. The associated prize pool of the Pro League season 11 finals and the APAC finals will be redistributed redistributed across the top teams from each region. While we're obviously disappointed that these events won't be going ahead, we are excited for the continued growth of Rainbow Six Esports and look forward to sharing more on your plans for 2020 and beyond soon. So what what do you think about that? Well, it's just like we were talking about off the top, right? I mean, this huge thing with coronavirus is just affecting everything from everyday life how you work how you get things done the way you go to the store right and even Mm -hmm. you know just something as obscure as playing a video game is being affected and here's one of the first things we're going to talk about that's directly impacting the game so we're not going to be having that uh season 11 final you know so the event in sao paulo brazil as well as apac that's all being affected and it's the first time that we've kind of seen that happen I don't know if they're going to wind up rescheduling something for a little later or if they're just right. saying, hey, this season is going to uh, just going to be, you know, a one off and not happening. And of course, because of the impact of coronavirus and how, you know, it's kind of going. I mean, some people are talking about how, you know, this might be done in, you know, three to four weeks. And others are saying this might be more like three to four months or we might be looking at longer for disruption. Of course, disruption and like actually bringing things to a standstill may not necessarily be the same thing, but right. um, it'll be interesting to see if they just kind of take this one off the table and it doesn't get rescheduled because the disruption has lasted that long right. uh, that, you know, like what what kind of happens with that rotation for Pro League, uh, you know, if this winds up going into, you know, several months uh, down the road still and life is still being disrupted. What does that do, you know, just for, um, I guess, the pro league schedule in general? Right. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, you know, there's always there's always ways that they could probably get around it and still keep up with all of the social distancing that everyone is recommending. Um, it would, you know, it would be very difficult. Uh, you know, obviously it would not be a land system. It would be everyone would have to be on their own, you know, PC or whatever, but yeah. You know, and I don't think they can do that because, you know, they have to ensure that no one is cheating is cheating and yeah, nobody, that's true. you know, I didn't think about that. And then you get weird things like variable ping rates and crashes and whatever. And yeah. like, if you're not in that controlled event environment, then and there's so much that could, yeah. Yeah. Someone could get that, uh, you know, easy advantage without anyone realizing it. And yeah, right. that's true. Right. It's it, it. I mean, you know, it's one of those things that, um, you know, I, I was kind of joking earlier, but none of us have been through this, you know, so like we don't we don't see how it affects everything until it starts to affect everything. And we're like, wait, what? Like, yeah, pro leagues canceled. Like, what the hell? So, you know, it's it's going to be interesting to see what's going on in the future. I wonder if they would do something where maybe they just simply reschedule it. Uh, you know, so say everything, you know, like for instance, it was originally planned in May and maybe things are beginning to look a lot better in May. So then maybe they're like, well, 
you know, it's scheduled for this date, so we're just going to reschedule it for a couple weeks later than it would have been and still right. proceed with it. But because things are still a little touch and go, we'll host the event for the players. But, you know, like and how not have fans come and stuff. right not have the crowd, yeah. you know, and because mm-hmm. that's sort of like the big thing is the transmission through the crowd. And we did see exactly. a little bit of some professional sporting events being played yep. without that crowd. You know, yep. would they maybe consider something like that? I mean, all these things that it's just like thinking about how life changes and, and how to proceed within those changes. Right. It's just wow. It's crazy. <laughs> well, and, and, you know, it's one of those things, especially when it comes to esports. Um, you know, the roar of the crowd is always something that gets people fired up. Yeah. Um, and when you think about like a professional sport, um, you know, turning points and, you know, certain situations where one team is just overwhelmingly crushing another team and they have the crowd behind them and a team takes a timeout or something and everything kind of fades out and kind of rebalances and stuff. That doesn't really happen when it comes to like Rainbow Six Siege. You know, everyone is more focused on what's going on. What can they actually hear? Uh, where can they hear the footprints? Where can they hear the drone? So like for me, that makes sense that they would be able to still um, just delay instead of completely cancel because even if they could host an event where it's just the pro league players and, you know, the announcers, you know, you you can still live stream that to, you know, millions and millions of people who would be watching and, you know, everyone might not be together cheering, but like, you know, they're all still cheering for their team and what's going on. So I definitely don't think, I mean, personally me, I don't think that this is going to be a prolonged cancel. Um, but you know, just kind of a delay. Right. Yeah. I think there's definitely a lot of, uh, you know, you know, that makes a lot of sense to me too. Mm-hmm. Um, but there, I, you know, it's also, there's a lot of variables, you know, no one knows what's going to happen. Absolutely. So the next thing that I want to talk about that's sort of impacting uh, the game that we play is uh, the development team put up a update. Uh, it's posted on Instagram and it's, you know, Twitter and Facebook and whatnot. So they said, uh, this is an official statement from Ubisoft and they say, as news on COVID-19 develops, a work-from-home policy will be enacted for the health and safety of the Rainbow Six Siege development team. While the day-to-day play experience will remain unchanged on Rainbow Six Siege, we foresee that smaller patches will be cut in the short term. This will not impact upcoming content that is ready for release in the current update. However, we are assessing the impact on future planned content releases, and we will keep the community up-to-date on any shifts in timelines that might occur, Thank you for your patience and understanding. We hope that everyone stays safe during these tough times from the Rainbow Six development team. So yet again, another example of how what's going on in the world right now on on this global scale is affecting uh, the game. And in this case, the actual development team and the content that they are producing for us. Right. Um, What do you think? I mean, you know, once again, kind of going back to none of us have been through this before. A lot of games like this are going to get hit and it's going to be frustrating. Uh, they it, it, it definitely makes sense that they're probably going to have to change the entire timeline for this because, you know, just the fact that like, I mean, in every country right now, basically you can't have more than what, 10 people 
I think it varies by country by country, but that for us here in the U.S. is the recommendation. Mm -hmm. So it's, you know, it's just one of those things. And I mean, obviously it's different for work, you know, the, the healthcare system that I work with, you know, there's obviously more than 10 people there, but, you know, just for like, when it comes to this, like, because they're so concerned about everyone's safety and not wanting people to, you know, catch this virus and stuff that things, you know, things are going to be changing. And I think as, you know, dedicated players to this game, it's going to be one of those things that as, as frustrating as it's going to be, um, you know, we're all just going to have to stick with it. And, you know, I know I, have been, you know, hit with this a lot too, but like, I, I'm going to have to continue to support this game, you know, because it's affecting all of us. And, you know, this is, this is going to be the time where showing, showing our support for a company that we stand behind, um, during a time of crisis is really going to be important. I think it's interesting to note also that they say, they're predicting and preparing us for the fact that we're going to see smaller patches cut in the short term. Mm -hmm. Uh, Now they do let us know that that's not going to impact upcoming content that's ready for release in the current update. So this was posted after void edge already went live because you know, Mm -hmm. that was like last week. So clearly they're not referencing that, but they do say in the current update. uh, So content that's ready for that. So I guess that would probably be referring to like, whatever patch they would have planned that would be coming up. Cause there's like the first month's patch. Yep. Right. So mm-hmm. it's probably not going to affect that one. Uh, but maybe it'll affect the one that comes after that, which right. is, uh, a little unfortunate. I mean, it's totally understandable, but it's a mm-hmm. little unfortunate because usually like the way the update patches typically go is that you have new season release yep. patch one at the end a month later, addresses any bug fixes that needed to be handled or anything weird that sort of developed once the new season went live, right? So Clash is about to leave again. Is what <laughs> <you're>... <laughs> I mean, who knows? But that's that's sort of like the, the kind of boring maintenance patch that's necessary. Yeah, for sure. Right? And then the patch that comes after that is typically where you might see something a little bit more fun and interesting come out. Maybe that's where they'll drop a new secondary gadget, or maybe they'll drop, uh, it used to be called mid-season reinforcements. They stopped yep. doing that a while back because it was too hard to commit to keeping that, um, like so much significant content delivered in a timely right. fashion, but it's still where they would do any kind of a larger update within a season, uh, would be at sure. that second update as well as usually that's about the time that we would then see the seasonal event you know, Doctor's Curse or Rainbow is Magic right. or, you know, Wild West Showdown or whatever would typically kind of begin to go live at that point with the second month's update. And uh, so it sounds like maybe that would get affected. Uh, right. So maybe that won't be as robust or, you know, at least maybe only half of the features or, you know, whatever it might be, mm-hmm. you know, and then will this affect so we know that the entire next season is going to be, you know, we're going to see the house map. Uh, that will be the last season where we get two operators before they switch back down to going to only one operator going forward. Right. You know, so will this impact some of those kinds of things? Uh, we also don't know which features and when they were going to roll them out with, but we do know over the course of this year that they were looking at introducing the replay system, the reputation system, uh, ping 2.0, map bands. Right. So are some of these things going to wind up getting pushed back as a result too? Um, you know, it sounds like there's a, a possibility that we should probably all prepare ourselves for that. Some of these yep. features 
may wind up getting pushed. You know, if something was going to come out in season two, maybe it'll come out in season three. Maybe we'll still get that right. house rework, but maybe Matt Bands will be, yep. you know, a little later or who knows. Yep. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, once again, you know, it's one of those things, like I said a little bit earlier, as people who are dedicated to playing this game and people that support this community, it's just going to be one of those things that we, if you care about this game and you care about the people that are making it, um, you know that they don't want this to happen. Absolutely. You know, they had, they, you know, they had their schedule set up and, you know, uh, the universe basically threw a wrench in that. So it's, it's just going to be one of those things that we're all going to have to get through this together. Um, I might not, I might not be able to see my Lord Tachanka until, you know, the end of season five. And as much as that makes me sad, I guess I'm okay with it. Well, and if he doesn't come until the end of year five, you know, I mean, so be it right we want <laughs> we want everybody on the development team to be healthy and safe and not exactly you know that's the top priority right if they're working at, at home on the patches and that keeps everybody safe and and not just the dev team but like you know either you know, there's hundreds and hundreds of people that work at ubisoft montreal and uh, so exactly. and that entire community then you right know? right and that spreads out to just you know Montreal as a whole, which spreads out to Canada as a whole and North America as a whole, right? Exactly. So, I mean, if keeping everybody safer means that we wind up with smaller patches or less features or, you know, we get them later than planned, um, I think that, you know, as a community, sometimes as a community, we can kind of pull up our pitchforks and roar about things. But I feel like this is definitely one where it's like, hey, we understand these delays that might be necessary. We totally get it because we're also all living with the impact of the day-to-day things, you know, that touch us too, so – so off topic question, do you feel like this is going to um, put a wrench in quarantine? I mean, why wouldn't it? It would be the whole <laughs> team, right? Yep. You know, so the siege team, the quarantine team, uh, the Assassin's Creed team, you know, whatever games that are. I mean, those are all based out of Montreal. Uh, but I mean, really, there's no place that's it's not just Montreal. There's no Ubisoft development studio anywhere in the world that's probably not experiencing the same thing. So any right. Ubisoft franchise. Um, I would think. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, so, uh, you know, other things that I've kind of been thinking about though. Um, so trying to, I guess, look on the positive side of this, you know, it's obviously, you know, shaking up all of our lives. Um, you know, obviously some people are able to work from home. Um, you know, a lot of people are having to file for unemployment. I'm having to file for unemployment right now. Everything's fine. But because so many people are going to be home now, like, do you think this is going to make it so that more people are playing more often? Or, you know, do you think like this is going to affect matchmaking at all? Or do you think it could mean that the servers are overloaded with more people? Um, You know, the servers went went down a couple days ago, you know, just with the amount of people that were playing. So how do you think that they're going to be able to react to that with just more people at home, um, you know, finding time or, you know, finding things to do. You know, kids don't have school now. Like pretty much all schools in, you know, the United States are shut down indefinitely. So it's just one of those like with, you know, all those kids playing video games, all the adults that are home playing video games, like how do you feel this is going to affect our servers and stuff like that? Yeah, I mean, it's unprecedented. So it's mm-hmm. really hard to forecast the impact that it's going to have. 
I would be very interested to sort of be a fly on the wall for a meeting at Ubisoft as far as the online architecture team and kind of what they're talking about. Of course, you know, these would be a, a Skype meeting rather than an in-person meeting at these stages. But uh, I mean, I'm sure they're having some very interesting discussions and possibly even slightly panicking a little bit at the volume of people that must be inundating all right. of their servers like around the clock now. Because like, yeah, how many how many millions more people are being added onto the server load now that nobody has um, commitments to go to, whether it's school right. or whether it's work. And I mean, if you're if you're in in school and you're a kid, that's probably the most glorious thing ever. And if you're an adult <laughs> and you have bills to pay, that's probably a very concerning thing. But regardless, right. whatever your circumstance is, whether you like the fact that you have the free time or you wish you didn't have the free time, mm -hmm. uh, you do have the free time. I guess so many people do. So I think that that is going to be very relevant to both things that you mentioned. Uh, yeah. There's going to be so many more people playing. So matchmaking is going to undergo, I think, an interesting thing that it's never seen before. Are we going to get better matchmaking now? Because the way matchmaking works is a lot of it is under the hood. We don't know yeah. what all of it is, and they hide that intentionally. They say they don't want everybody to know what factors into matchmaking. We know that KD goes into it. We know that win-loss goes into it. Um, you know, there, there's various things that go into matchmaking. Proximity to server, um, you know, nearest... Um, there's all kinds of things that factor into it. But now if you have, I guess like the, the example would be a pool that's half full versus a pool that's almost overflowing. Right. There's so much more to draw on now that maybe we'll see ourselves getting higher quality matches than we would have before. Because before it might have just been like, well, this is the closest we can approximate to matchmaking standards. And so, you know, matchmaking is sort of hit or miss. But now maybe there's such a rich sampling pool to draw on that it may be able to hit some of those things that maybe are a little bit more relevant rather than just simply the two closest data servers that ping each other. Maybe there's right. so many people that that's, that's like doesn't even matter because there's so much. And now it can kind of get into the things that maybe distinguish a more balanced team a little better, like the win-loss and the KD, which maybe it couldn't afford to prioritize as much because of the amount of people. But now that there's so many, you know, there might be higher quality matches that way, more even, evenly balanced matches, I guess is what I'm right. saying. Wishful thinking. I, right, <laughs> right. I, I don't know that that's the case. I, I only hope that it could be <laughs> for sure. If um, I don't have to see another diamond or champion for the next, you know, indefinite time period i would be okay with that <laughs> or 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 does that mean that you're going to wind up seeing more diamonds and champions because everybody has so much more time to play and so much more time to grind out <laughs> because they have that distribution curve right of who's yep. who's a copper and who's a diamond and who's a gold and a silver and a bronze and a whatever and it's it's definitely um, a very even distribution as far as the middle ranks being kind of like silver through gold one, maybe kind of edging on plat three. And that's sort of where everybody sits. And then the outliers are like copper and bronze. And then on the other end, you know, high platinum diamond and champion. Right. So, you know, now is that that nice, you know, even spectrum curve going to suddenly shift, right. <laughs> you, you know, because it's again, it's an unprecedented sampling 
that right. they've never really gotten into before. So it'll be yeah. interesting to see what it does. I wonder also, um, you know, if financials aren't affecting certain people, if actually um, Siege will be making more money because maybe because more people are on now, maybe they're buying more stuff, like buying more rainbow credits and such. Yeah, I wonder. I, I definitely think that's that's a point. But I mm-hmm. wonder if it won't be as big as it could be, though, because right. the reason so many people are at home is because they're not able to work. Right. You know, right. Uh, or they're maybe they're working, but they're working from home or whatever it might mm-hmm. be. So, like, there might be an uptick in microtransactions, but I don't know if it'll be proportionate to the volume. Yeah. You know, I don't no, know. That's, that makes sense. So I guess we'll have to kind of wait and see with that one. Yeah. Uh, it's still fresh, so you know. I'm sure. I'm sure in the coming weeks we'll have more information. I also know that you know, talking about the server load, um, that's something that is also going to be interesting to watch when we first started getting in the United States here. Anyway, I don't want to speak for other countries. China was develop dealing with this way before we were, and other places in the world. <laughs> you know, Italy's been hard hit and whatnot. But in the United States, when we first really experienced the shift where people began being sent home, not working Uh as much. Uh, It was reported on steam, the, you know, content delivery platform on PC that uh, they had a record breaking day uh, where it was just like, you know, millions of people. I mean, it just broke all records. Right. And that was just the first, the first kind of like real day where we saw people um, not having to work all of a sudden. And of course now it's been several days since, uh, and mm-hmm. I, I haven't kept up on what the Steam records are currently and how that's trending. But, you know, I think you are going to definitely see so many more people on. And it is a good question to say, are the servers going to be able to keep up with that load? We have already seen a crash uh, because it was either that day or the next day after that the right. Ubisoft servers went down. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so it's like, is that kind of thing going to become more prevalent? One reason Ubisoft servers can also go down is because of, uh, you know, being DDoSed or hacked or whatever. Uh, right. And it's interesting that some of those hacker groups do pick uh, busy times to strike out at. There was one, I think it was about like three years ago or so, where it was like, was it on Christmas break or it was like there was a significant break time where like, okay, everybody's off work. Everybody's going to play. And then they took down the Ubisoft servers and a right. bunch of other servers too. It wasn't just Ubisoft. It was like a mm-hmm. like Microsoft servers and like, I think some Sony servers and like, like all kinds of stuff, but they took it down and then they claimed responsibility for the event. And they specifically said like, we're doing this right now when it's all busy like this, because we want to call attention to what we're doing because we want people to upgrade their security on the server. And it's like, uh, no, you're not Robin hood, knock it off, you know, but, (laughs) (laughs) but, but sometimes these people will intentionally strike when they can do the most damage. Right. You know? So when they did do all those like server attacks, that was kind of a sort of a goal with that. So I don't know. We'll have to see. Yeah. Yeah. Time will tell. So one thing that has, a really interesting revelation, I guess, that has occurred is that a new article just came out and we're going to kind of break this article down where they wind up sitting down with the new creative director of Rainbow Six. For those of you that aren't aware, the old creative team uh, has mostly been replaced by this point. Uh, there's 
you know, still a couple of originals that are left around from the uh, very first build of the game. But for the most part, the vast majority of the team has been replaced. They've, they do this all the time. They reassign different developers to different projects as new things come out, uh, you know, and, and they have people move on throughout certain phases. But the core, I guess, upper management, uh, as far as the creative director, the brand manager, they had been there since the game first launched, and they had just recently announced that those positions were being, um, those those people were being reassigned, and they were having right. new people step into those roles. So previously, the creative director was Xavier Maquis, and he had been the one with the original vision that had brought it from you know, it's original development to where it is kind of now. And now we have a new creative director, uh, Leroy. I'm not going to say this correctly. Athanasov? Leroy Athanasov? I don't know. Just I don't know. Leroy. 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 Um, not Jenkins. Not, not Leroy Je Jenkins. Not that Leroy. Uh, <laughs> but he has stepped into the role of creative director now. And it sounds like he's yep. got some uh, things that he wants to do with the game and take things in a new direction. And when you hear that as a player, initially you get a little scared, right? You don't know what that means exactly. And I do know that this isn't just like, okay, the old guy's gone. The new boss is here. We're just now this game is going to be all like this completely different thing. Uh, from what I know, he actually worked with the original creative director very closely. And so that like there was a shared vision, like it isn't going to be like a night and day thing. It's just like, OK, you've brought us this far. Now we're going to take over from here and, and explore some new things. But we're not disregarding everything that came before it. Right. Uh, so, you know, they, they wind up having this uh, back and forth discussion in this interview, and we'll post the link for this uh, so you guys can check it out for yourself. But it's on the news.ubisoft.com website. Uh, and if you just went there, you could also find it and kind of read it for yourself, too. But uh, so we're just going to kind of read this article together, just sort of pull, pull it up point by point, and we can break it down and talk about what we think about this. So the first now, thing just before before we get into this, this was the same Leroy that we posted the video about two episodes ago that was talking about the yeah, the changes for the prep phase yeah. and with the drone uh, where you would essentially drone out the prep phase and then make an operator selection after right droned. And we were like, what does this mean? Yeah, this is this guy. Um, Carry on. <laughs> <laughs> so. He's got some more revelations in here, um, and some of it is actually kind of interesting. So here we go. Right. All right. So first question, can you give us an idea about your philosophy for year five of Rainbow Six Siege? Leroy says, what makes year five special is that it's a year of change. It's a year when we transform the game in preparation for year six. Year five is the year that leads us to year six, not only in terms of a business model, but in terms of reinventing, reinvesting, and starting a full enhancement of this game. We'll be in reinvesting and reoccupying some gameplay areas that we haven't really touched since launch, okay? So then they say, well, year five, we'll see the launch of new consoles from Microsoft and Sony. How is Siege team approaching the next generation? And Leroy responds by saying, Siege is going to be on new consoles. The only thing we're communicating right now is the fact that we are supporting cross-generation matchmaking. So for example, PlayStation 5 players can play with PlayStation 4 players and Xbox Series X players can play with Xbox One players. The game will be backwards compatible, meaning that you can take your disc of Rainbow Six Siege on PS4 and put it in your PS5, or take your Xbox One disc and put it in your Xbox Series X. What we know for sure is that we don't want to break our community, to split our community, and we don't want to make you buy another Rainbow Six Siege at full price. Okay, so let's stop there 
and just sort of yeah. talk about what's going on. Uh, what are your initial thoughts? I mean, that, so far that all sounds good to me. Um, I think that's really, you know, especially, and, you know, I, I don't want to continue to bring up coronavirus because, you know, this is a podcast about Rainbow Six Siege, not, you know, pandemics. But, you know, with the financial problems that are probably about to arise, um, you know, the new Xbox, what is it supposed to be, like $800? No, it's not going to be that. I think they're looking at about <laughs> a $400 price point. million dollars. <laughs> Four hundred dollars to the square root of, but you know, so it's going to be one of those things that maybe because everything's going on, not everyone can buy it right away, mm -hmm. and because of that, you know, being able to have um, um, the same generation like crossing is going to be really nice to be able to still play with your friends that uh you know might have been lucky enough to get the new xbox and you can't get it quite yet uh and you can still play as your core group i think that's going to be really awesome i really respect that well that's gonna be huge for me because i know that um when the xbox series x comes out i will probably be among the first to pick it up and yeah for sure. when i do I love the fact that I don't have to worry about do I still get to play with you and Thunder and Neely Bobber and, you know, the other people that make up yep. kind of our core group. Right. You know, like I don't have to worry about, you know, oh, like Skelly or, you know, Bastion didn't pick it up. So I mm -hmm. I can't play with them yet until they do. Like, I don't even have to worry about it. I, yep. And that's a really good thing. Absolutely. Absolutely. Another thing they had mentioned, and it's not in this article, but they had talked about it, and I forget exactly where it was, otherwise I would I would reference it directly, but uh, I did read them saying in another article that they feel like the time for cross-play, so this is not just cross-generation matchmaking, this is cross-platform. Cross yeah, yeah cross-platform matchmaking. Cross-platform, yep. They say that the time for cross-play is arriving, and it's something that they're ready to look at. Yeah. And they did mention, though, that what they need is they need they need the platforms to come on board with it, though. Like they're oh, ready, sure. but they want to make sure that Microsoft and Sony are going to play ball together. And Microsoft right. has been the one this whole time uh, when when you just talk about cross platform in general, not just Siege, but the mm -hmm. concept of cross platform play, whether it's Call of Duty or Minecraft or Fortnite or whatever it is. Microsoft is the one that's like, yes, let's do that. We, Sony can play with our people. It's fine. Let's do it. <laughs> and Sony's the one that's like, uh, I don't think, no, I don't want to do that. You know? Right. <laughs> so really, it's kind of up to Sony to sort of get the stick out of their butt on this issue and get jump on, on board. board. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it sounds like the dev team is ready to uh, embrace that concept. And I think that that would be really interesting because the PS4, out of all three platforms, PS4 actually has the largest user install base. Right. Um, and, and PC is where it's probably considered to be the most competitive, the most viable, the most um, like that's where you want to play it. But PS4 uh -huh. actually has the biggest user installation base. So when you look at that, and, uh, you know, and then there's us poor Xbox guys that are neither. <laughs> yep. We but, just exist. <laughs> but, We're like the stepchild. <laughs> but, um, 
you know, when you look at that, I mean, what that would do for expanding matchmaking possibilities and faster queue times and more optimized matchmaking conditions and things like that. And again, they're not there yet. They said they're ready for it, but they need uh-huh. the platforms to jump on board in order to kind of complete that concept. What are your thoughts on that? So my only concern, and I guess I don't necessarily know, um, the only cross-platform stuff that I've actually played is um, Rocket League and Smite. Um, So that doesn't necessarily give an advantage like it would if you were playing PC on Siege as opposed to playing on console. Right. Um, Would it be a situation that a bunch of PC players are getting that advantage because they have such that quicker reaction time if not then i'm all for it well but if they acknowledged that point in that article and again uh i don't have it handy to pull up and and link to or, or read right now but they did kind of acknowledge that they're aware of basically the challenge that that brings and that they would handle that in some fashion Sure. There's there's ways to handle that, you know, different games that do have, I mean, Call of Duty does support cross-platform, uh, Fortnite right. does, you know, there are other games that do. So whether you do that with um, an opt-in, you know, where there's a checkbox, you know, where you say, like, I want to just match make with Xbox players or Xbox and PlayStation players or Xbox, right. PlayStation and PC players. And you, you know, so like you get the ability to opt out of a certain platform if you don't want to go against them or maybe... It's one that says, um, you know, yeah, all three platforms can cross play together, but, you know, we'll somehow restrict it in this way or make these certain conditions. Um, you know, maybe if there's two PC players against uh, and eight, you know, other console players that the two PC players are somehow um you know, handicapped in some way with, you know, I, I don't know what they're going to, uh-huh. I, I, I don't know. I don't know how necessarily other games handle it. I don't play right. Fortnite and whatever. Like, I don't know exactly the systems they have in play. I just mm-hmm. don't play those games. There are other ways to handle it. I think like opting in and opting out of some platforms versus others is probably a really easy way to handle that. So there would be a way to deal with it. They know that that particular issue exists. Well, you know, if I mean, that really is my only issue. Other than that, I think it's a great idea. I think it would be amazing to just be able to kind of combine everything together for sure. Um, yeah. I feel like that opens it up kind of like what you were saying. It, it, it kind of like in the situation that we're right now, it's going to just open up and create like such a large pool of players that we're probably going to get a lot more balanced play. Um, And that, you know, for both of us, that has been something that we've complained about since the start of this podcast. So I'm all for it. Leroy must be listening. (laughs) Uh, So as they go on in the interview, then the, the next question that's asked is they say, okay, let's circle back to the changes you have planned for year five and beyond. Can you talk about what you mean by reoccupying some gameplay areas that you haven't really touched since launch. And then Leroy responds by saying, inside the framework of Siege, there is still a lot of room for innovation, as we say, fulfilling the promise that was not totally finished when this game was made. For me, I'm interested in the kind of feature that really changes the way you approach things and develop new skills. And that allows for maybe a new type of player, a new mindset to rise in this game. I think it will be super beneficial for our players, and it should be more appealing and more interesting for a larger population. 
So not meaning that we're going to be more mainstream or casual, but more meaning that there will be ways for people to express their talent and their skill through different mechanics, and not only by relying on pure mechanical skill or the creativity of destruction. All the things we're talking about are things that can be leveraged by a population that isn't necessarily the best at playing first-person shooters in terms of putting my mouse on your head as fast as possible. That, to me, is super interesting and appealing because it allows a different part of our population to express themselves and shows that everyone can bring something into a team. That is the thing that, to me, is important. I think we saw this at the Sixth Invitational also, that it's not only the team that has the best gunner that wins. To build a team, you need to have diversity, and that's true only if there are mechanics and roles in gameplay that support that. And he goes on to conclude, for example, right now, when cycling cameras... It's hard to say who cycles better. It's just the cycling of cameras. It's maybe just knowing the place where you see someone and saying, there's someone in this place. Most of the time it relies more on knowledge than on purely being smart. And that's what we want to change. So it's not just about who knows the map by heart and cycles through cameras. We want to create interactive gameplay when you're dead that you can excel at and become better than someone else. I think, first specifically, when we are in... A, sorry, my table is breaking. Uh, when we are in a, when, you know, when we don't have our five man and someone else is on cameras and just pinging and not giving information and, you know, then all the cameras get shot, it's very frustrating. The way that he's explaining this kind of makes it seem like maybe it's going to give prioritize prioritize who is able to use the cameras maybe hmm. to me it almost sounds like they're going to be changing up like because they say expanding and creating new roles right so it sounds right. like we may also be seeing some kind of new features coming to uh what happens after a player has died and they're Dies. in that role of watching cameras and doing call outs where they want to maybe give more, more of a role to that function. Um, it sounds do like you think this, go ahead. I say, do you think this is going to be something in addition to uh, ping 2.0 or do you think this is really just like him trying to really hype up ping 2.0? Well, to, ping 2.0 is something that can be used in all phases of the game. It can be used when you're on a drone. Right, that's it can be true. used on, you know, a live player. It can be used. So I don't, it would feel weird to be used by a dead player maybe, but I don't know. Well, I mean, if you think about it right now, a dead player can scan and tag on a camera, right? Mm -hmm. So if they can scan and tag on a camera and then ping 2.0 activates and says what you just scanned is labeled as a frost trap or whatever. Um, I mean, I guess that would be valid. So maybe it's talking about that, but then they go on, right? He says, so then he's asked, have you prototyped any of these features yet? Leroy responds by saying, we recently tested some of the features we want to introduce in year five and year six in a workshop with pro players. And they were unhappy to say the least, right? They are the people that make their living from being good at this game. So you are able to, so they are the people in our population of players that most want to have control of the game. The more they are in control, the better they are at their profession. 
if you are a professional, you don't like that the rules of something are changing constantly because it challenges you to stay at the highest level. So if they are not happy with our proposed features, then to me, that means we are going in the right direction. <laughs> yes, I love it so much. He goes on to say, it really depends. <laughs> it really depends on your mindset. To me, mm -hmm. if I want to be the best at Siege, I don't want to be the best because of this one thing or that patch. I want to be the best in general. So whatever features you're adding, it's a challenge for me to understand them faster than my opponent and leverage them better than my opponent. Ultimately, there are some things in the game that will change. We are not changing the game just for the pleasure of changing the game. Inside the high-level framework, like the things in the six decisions that made Siege video, which we noted in our last episode, and you can find that on the, on the subreddit, there is still a lot of room for innovation. The action phase is the one where mechanical skills shine. And this is where he was talking about, like, you know, putting the mouse cursor on the head and, you know, like right. that kind of thing. He said, it, that's important and we don't want to touch that. That part is kind of a safe zone for pro players. Action phase is all about action, moving and shooting and using your gadget and stuff like that. But for the prep phase and support phase... We believe we can have much more interesting gameplay as much as we have right now in action phase. So that's really kind of some interesting stuff that he's revealing right there. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm starting to like this guy. Because <laughs> <laughs> what it sounds to me is like I, I just I, – I, and I laughed at it, but I love the fact that he said we want to change something about the game – that doesn't affect the 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 dominating realm of the pro players, like the action uh, phase, the running around and the shooting and the gadget use, like the action phase. That's that's the realm of the pros. We don't want to mess with that, but we wanted to make it for the people that maybe aren't that fantastic at that phase, when they're in the prep phase or in the support phase or on cameras and they're dead to have a more robust role. And the pro right. players are like, no, we don't like that. And he's like, then that means we're doing it right, like. <laughs> Mm -hmm. <laughs> I I love that it sounds like there's somebody that's finally willing to say not everything has to be the way the pros want it all the time because it's exactly. sometimes yeah sometimes it just feels like it's just all about the pro play the competitive play and if you dare disagree with everything being changed for the pros then you suck you copper trash noob you know yep. so having a developer the creative director no less say you know, we kind of want to also make sure that these other people uh, are also being heard and have a, maybe an expanded role, a better role, a, a way to engage the game more fully outside of just like who's the fastest with the gun. You know, right. uh, what are your thoughts on that? I think that's awesome. I do really think that it would be really cool to be able to give give that voice to the other people. It You know, it, especially coming from a situation where there there have been so many times where we've been super upset about changes that have come out recently and it's because pro league wanted it to happen and there have been so many times that like the game seemed fine but no we're going to change it because pro league doesn't like this and now even though like the core game is still based on that sort of thing, there's still things that like, you know, people that aren't great at this game, myself, 
other people. Well, not even not great. That just aren't but, necessarily that pro level. You know. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. So people pe- people that aren't that pro level that you know try their damnedest to play this game as well as they can and you know get spawn peak killed by a champion when you're playing casual because that's super fun um and then you you still you still always had a role but now this is going to give you an actual like purpose and i guess the potential for a purpose and that's really cool i really am into that um, because I know there, there have definitely been times where like, I'll be playing the game, be a really frustrating night and, you know, I get, I get, you know, spawn killed immediately or like, you know, we're on defense and the attack phase just starts and, you know, I'm running down a hall and someone like wall bangs me and kills me immediately. And I'm just like, you know what? I'm, I'm going to go get myself a drink. I'm going to go to the bathroom. I don't even care what happens anymore. F this, I'm out. And now it's going to be like, you know what? I actually have a role. I'm, I, I can do something to make a difference now instead of just being like, oh, he's in the hallway. So, like, I think I think that's really cool. And uh, I look forward to seeing what that entails. I think another thing that it opens up is a really interesting concept is the people will say, like, oh, I don't get the most amount of kills, but I'm a really good support player. Mm-hmm. And... What was, what was that guy that we used to play? Robin? Thought Robin? Thought Robin. Yes. Was like, this dude was the greatest person on cams. Yeah. The greatest call out person ever. And you know, sometimes he died real quick, but like he would be the reason we would win rounds. Yep. Cause it was the support that he was playing. Yep. And I feel like there are people that fit into that kind of a role. Where it's just, you know, yeah, I'm not the one that's going to be the top fragger. In fact, I might even be the bottom fragger, but I'm the one that gives you information. Or I'm the one that will actually go on drone ahead of you. Or I'm the one that will sit there and throw in the smoke grenade for you so you can make your plant while I hold the angle, you know, while you're going into the danger. Like, there are people that play those support roles. They know they're not the best at the game. And there's often an attitude in this game because it's competitive so much that um, it's like if you're not fragging, then you don't matter. And it's like, no, that's that's not true at all. So it sounds like what Leroy is talking about is that he really wants to give. Like a embrace a dedicated role for that kind of player that that really shines in those situations, you know, that makes sense. So then he goes on and he has this uh, just these last couple sections here. So they say, in addition to new gameplay features, year five will also bring the first operator rework. What was the team's focus when reimagining Tachanka? He says, when you play an operator rework, you will have the feeling that you're playing a new operator. That's really what we want for reworks. Uh, So when it comes to balancing tweaks and stuff like that, we did with Lion, we adjusted some mechanics. Overall, the experience is still Lion, so you know how to play him. What we right. want to do for a rework is for you to have new gameplay. So you're going to have to relearn the operator. You're going to have a new way of playing them. You'll see Tachaka. He's going to be played as a new operator, essentially because he was never played anyway. So it's hard to say there really was a play style of Tachaka. Uh, but a reworked operator is something that you are not using that we recreate. 
and add new value to, and we make it as interesting as relevant to the meta, as meaningful as a new operator, even in terms of power level and stuff like that. We take something that you already own and make it better and kind of new. We saw it with the map rework. We take something that you know, that you care about, and we make it better. So the relationship is much stronger, and the reaction every year when we talk about map reworks is way bigger than any season when we announce a new map because people can relate to it. People can understand what we're doing, what areas we're improving, and can more easily imagine themselves enjoying it. So that's about T'Chanka. Mm-hmm. As far as T'Chanka goes, I don't think that they've really given us any new information here in, in this particular part of the article. Right. Um, it's just sort of reinforcing their thought process behind it. But what I do like, you know, so they revealed the rework of T'Chanka, right? And they showed, you know, okay, now he's got the LMG mobile and he's got the grenade launcher and like, wow, it's all new, new, new. And it looks really cool. And like when you saw that as a reworked operator concept, you're like, okay, but is that because it's T'Chanka? Because he was so broken, like you had to start from the ground up. Right. But what they're saying is, when they want to talk about operator reworks going forward, that's kind of ground up, sort of what they want to do with an operator rework as a concept now. They they don't really want to do the lion thing where it's like they just adjust the mechanics, but overall it's the same. So, mm-hmm. so that's interesting to know that maybe that's a direction they want to take operator reworks in the future, not just to Chaka. What do you think about that? I think that's really cool. Um, because I mean, you know, there, there's definitely a handful of operators that I feel like are very stale and don't get played a lot. Um, or, you know, certain people are super good with one very specific operator and everyone else hates it. Um, uh, warden, for example, um, mm, yeah. I feel like I feel like Warden is a terrible operator. I feel like his ability is trash. Um, he runs weird. It's a whole thing. <laughs> but you know, some people really enjoy him. But like War, I, f- I feel like Warden would be, you know, the definition of what they're saying. You know, let's think. Let's look look back at Tachanka. Um, Tachanka was one of the original operators. And he, the, the, the fact that his gun is immobile, you know, turned him into like this trash operator and he became a meme, you know, people don't play Tachanka cause they're like, Tachanka's good. They play Tachanka to be funny. And now they're like, you know what? We realize that people don't appreciate this operator. We're going to put polish on him and make him a good operator. We're giving this operator life. I feel like there's a lot of operators nowadays that, you know, are very stale and people are just like, I don't really care about this operator. Um, So I feel like the fact that they want to make, create a balance in a way. you know, you always have that high pick rate of certain operators and stuff. So I feel like doing this is just going to kind of rebalance things. And I'm really here for it. Uh, what about you? Yeah, that's that's really well said. I think when, you know, we talk about reworking an operator, it's always been something that, like, I've been a little annoyed at when they're like, oh, 
we need to change Lion, so now he works just a little differently, like this and this, and we change some Excel mm-hmm. spreadsheet values. Oh, now we need to <laughs> rebalance this operator, so now let's change a decimal point here to here and make this right. a four instead of a three and call that a rework. Like, no, it's really not. Um, and let's give Ella 16 good shots and everything out of his trash. Yeah, her 16 yeah. Uh, good bullets <laughs> out of her magazine had reduced recoil. Um, it's just stuff like that that I'm like, no, that's yeah. – if you're going to rework an operator, like I feel like what they're doing with Tachanka is perfect. I love that. Absolutely. I'm so excited for it, you know? Absolutely. I will say, though, there is something to be – because, you know, they're saying about operators and maps. Um the maps I'm not as excited about, but that's also just because I like to have an actual new map every once in a while. Um, just reworking the same maps to a certain extent gets a little boring, in my opinion. Um, it's always nice to see something new and fresh, even if you're not a huge fan of it, just to have that newness. But I can put up with that if they start to rework some of these like stale operators. Cause I think, I think that's more important in my opinion. Well, I think where the comparison comes into with the maps that you're talking about, it's not just that it can get boring, but it's also, we've kind of gotten a bad taste in our mouth for some of them. Yeah. Hereford 2.0 left a lot of people like, Oh, why did like, yeah, Hereford needed some changes, but not this, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that for me personally, this is just my two cents, but the map reworks I enjoy the most are the ones that rework the broken parts and right. leave the not broken parts alone, you know, and they're still recognizable and the same and whatever. And it doesn't necessarily need to make the entire map look different. So I like, you know, like the clubhouse rework I thought was a really good way to handle it. Or mm-hmm. even this new Oregon rework, you know, they've changed things for sure, but like it still feels like Oregon, whereas Hereford did not right. feel like it was Hereford. Just a, yeah, touche. Yeah, I guess I guess I was kind of looking that objectively. Yeah, for sure. For um, sure. I mean, and we're really gonna see next season how that comes in with the house rework. Like, I am <laughs> very scared. Like, you know, <laughs> me too. There's, me too. It was broken. There's stuff that needed to be fixed, but I'm like, please don't go in the Hereford Break direction. <laughs> We took this broken map and we just destroyed it. That's <laughs> game over. Right. Um, CH2 coming out next year. <laughs> okay, so let's let's wrap up this interview that he's talking about yeah, here. Yeah, for sure. So he goes into something that I think is just really – it blows my mind a little bit to even think about it and is really cool. He gets a little specific here. So they say, you're also planning to improve and expand anti-toxicity measures in the coming year. Can you explain the upcoming player reputation system and give some insight into your general approach towards improving player behavior? Leroy responds, What is interesting with this new player reputation system is that we are going to build a kind of memory. Because right now, you can kill somebody, activate the reverse friendly fire sanction, finish your game, start another game, kill someone, activate the RFF, and so on. And so at the end of the day, you'll have killed 20 teammates, but because you were waiting to finish your games and starting new ones, we lost memory of your action. So what is important is to build a memory, a kind of persona of who you are and be able to put you in control of that. You are only going to decrease your score by doing mean and toxic actions. So he's saying you're gonna do it to yourself really more than Mm -hmm. anything else over time. 
he says, there's no way for people to impact your behavior score by avoiding or reporting you. What is important to us is control. You are in control of what is happening to you. So if you're, in other words, what he's saying uh, is that if you have negative things happen to you, it's because you did it to yourself by being right. toxic, right? It's, mm-hmm. not, it's not out of your control. If you want to have control over that not happening, then don't do those things. Don't be toxic. Right. Uh, then he goes on to say, we also want to be better at saying this is bad behavior. You shouldn't do that. We will give you warnings, give you notifications so you know. I'm not too much into punishment and stuff like that. I'm more into prevention and incentivizing to give you opportunity, feedback, and notifications to do good stuff, to show you what kinds of behaviors are expected, cool, and make the community better. Being friendly, being fair, being a teacher, being patient, taking time to use your mic to do callouts and stuff like that. And I want you to get rewarded for that and access a higher level of enjoyment when you play this game. Ultimately, I feel like the toxicity of the game is the responsibility of the people making the game. We don't put the responsibility on the people. We're not saying these are the people that are toxic and people that are not toxic. We don't believe that on this team. We believe that there are just people and systems and that everyone has a threshold. Okay, now this is where things get really cool. Mm-hmm. He says, I will give you an example that illustrates this in a super concrete way. In this game, if you're playing house and you see someone reinforcing kid's bedroom, you might want to team kill him to prevent the reinforcing of kid's bedroom. So you might then be punished for team killing as we do now. But what if we had made the decision that when you reinforce, you're able to unreinforce or someone can unreinforce your reinforcement? Suddenly, when I see someone doing a bad action, I have a way to tell them. Whereas right now, you can see how the system almost doesn't give you any choice but to kill the guy before he finishes the reinforcement. Maybe if we added a mechanic that just allowed people to take away their own reinforcement specifically to avoid another kind of toxicity, then we would be able to have people correct their action. And then you decrease a bit the frustration and you lower the things that trigger toxicity. Wow, that is super That's, interesting. I I agree. That gave me chills a little bit. Just how game-changing is it to think about, okay, I put up this reinforcement, or or not even I, this other guy, this random, like we're playing mm-hmm. in a four stack, and this there's we've got this random fifth, and he put up this reinforcement in a bad spot. He got it up before I was able to tell him on Mike, don't do that. Like I turned around and, and he was just slamming at home. It was too late. Couldn't do anything mm-hmm. about it. Now, rather than like getting angry about it or maybe trying to tell somebody and they're not on Mike, you know, or, or you're in a private chat or whatever, you know, whatever the reason is, you can't communicate it and the guy doesn't respond. Rather than just having your only action be to shoot the person to stop the event, uh, you can say to the person, hey, that thing you're doing, undo that. Take it back down mm-hmm. again. Put it up here instead. I'm going to ping the wall where you should put it up. That's a far better place to do it. Or I was going to use that wall for like to put a murder hole on. Can you can you take that down and put that up over here instead? That's just really interesting to think about that. And how does that change the gameplay in other ways? But I want to go a little further with that and ask you to think about what do you th- how do you think that that will change gameplay itself? If you can take down a reinforcement, that's 
that's a really good question. And, you know, taking that even further into the mind of a toxic player, how can people use this to their advantage to actually screw their team over even more without actually having to... Sure, because if you wanted to be toxic, right, and you've got that push mm-hmm. and you're like, so now, right now, what are some toxic things people can do? They can team kill. They can team wound where they just take mm-hmm. some points off you, but they don't actually kill you. Um, they can destroy your gadgets, you know, yep. and then teabag or whatever. Yeah. But now when the attackers are making that push, all of a sudden they rip down their two vital reinforcement panels and expose the site. Mm-hmm. There's a whole new form of trolling. Right. Right. Exactly. What about unless, of course, the way that he's talking about this is maybe during and this could go back to that whole um, re mapping how prep phase goes. Mm-hmm. Maybe this is something that only happens during prep phase. Okay. And once, once, um, like you, you have the initial phase, maybe a quick prep phase, or I don't, I don't know how they're actually going to do it. But once prep phase is over, whatever's laid is played, and that's final. I like that. Maybe that's that's their balance, finding that balance. Yeah. Um. It. But I mean, I, you know, like I said, I took it one step far, but I think obviously changes game i don't know if it would be for better or for worse obviously to a certain extent it will be beneficial for the attackers um to uh erase their mistakes or erase the mistakes of someone who's either trying to troll or just doesn't know the strat that you're trying to play um and that's awesome um is it overpowered maybe well and there's interesting ways to use it too. So I, I'm really intrigued by what you just said about like, okay, when this certain phase is, is reached, then it's mm-hmm. like locked in. But until that phase is reached, maybe you can still take it down and move it because that would kind of get around the problem of the of the the troll ripping down the, the, the things. But as I was also thinking about it, like there's – if it wasn't and you could take it down at any point during the round, that would also open up some really interesting tactical options too. Like for I... instance – what if you reinforce and I'm just this isn't site specific, but just like there is a site, right? And you could put up all your walls on the south wall and they're pushing from the west wall. And like you ran out of reinforcement panels, so you've got a soft wall over there. All of a sudden you realize your your mistake and you can adjust the flow. They're not pushing from north at all. So I'm gonna rip mm-hmm. down that panel and move it over to the west wall quick because they just got into that room and that's where they're gonna push from. You know, um, that would allow you to do things like that or and like I'm thinking dirty now. Right. But <laughs> like, OK, here. Perfect example. Let's let's use Hereford basement. New new Hereford yeah. basement. Um, what is that called? Um, wine cellar in our barrel storage barrel storage. Uh, so you're down in the basement and you've got your walls. That, I mean, there's a wall north, south, east and west. Right. But that one wall, uh, I believe it's to the south that borders that um, it's like a two panel wall. And then on the other side of that is that room that has like those big brewery uh, containers in them. Yep. So like, okay, they're pushing from say the, I think it's like the, the 
blacksmith room or whatever there's like there's like a kiln in there and a table with blacksmithing tools on it or something it's i think Mm -hmm. it's to the west so say they're pushing in there and you know that they're getting into the room and you're tucked into that uh, i think it's the south corner my cardinal directions could be all messed up but you know that little deep pocket where everybody kind of goes and hides back behind the barrels yeah so you're tucked in there and you know they're pushing from that west room so like what if like you take down your own reinforcement throw an impact grenade at the wall, go through that next brewery room or whatever it's called. And then you hit that West room from that other room. Now, instead, like they thought like, Oh, we're pushing on objective. He's in objective. And you're like, haha, ripped down the wall, made a soft rotation by impact grenade, rotated out, flanked you from behind. Right? Like that would be so cool to see. Yes. But I also feel like it would kind of break the game. I feel I I do like because I was thinking about that like yeah that'd be really cool especially to be able to like in real time change your strategy based on how they're acting right but that goes back to and I can't remember if it was the episode we did with Thunder or the episode before that talking about people making mistakes and having to come up with a new strategy to fix that, I feel like this would just intensify that to a point where, like, certain things wouldn't matter anymore. Yeah, I I hear where you're going with that. Mm -hmm. But this could go in a direction that answers a question we had previously that we didn't know the answer to. The last time we talked about the changes that Leroy was proposing, right? They were the mm-hmm. ones in that six decisions that made siege video. Uh, I think it was. Right. I think it was two episodes ago. I think. Yeah. Is that in episode six we covered this? I it think. was episode six. Yeah. Uh, so we're talking about the the major changes to the prep phase, right? And Leroy mm-hmm. had talked about how the drones were going to drone, and then it sounded like he was saying that you would then choose your attacking operator after you droned. And we're like, well, how's that fair? Because his whole thing was like, well, um, this gives you the chance to react to what you're, the intel you're gathering because otherwise you're just guessing in the dark. But our position was like, well, isn't that exactly what defense is doing? They're guessing in the dark. So why does right. the attack get to be fluid and change and then defense is locked and not get to change? That seems like a really unbalanced way to handle it. But what if this mechanic is sort of the defensive response to that. So attack right. gets to be fluid and make their change after the prep phase by choosing their operator. Defense may be locked into their operator selection, but their defenses aren't static. Their defenses can be dynamically shifted in response to what's happening. What if that's sort of the defensive answer to the offensive question? Right. I didn't think about that until you said that. That makes that actually that does kind of answer some of the questions we had earlier. Yeah. Interesting. Just things to think about. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Well, <laughs> that's that's what this podcast is all about. Yeah. But I mean, it's just interesting to kind of get inside the the brain of this guy because um he's just recently come into being in charge of the um 
the team as as creative director. And I'm sure, you know, mm-hmm. like he had a significant role before that and he stepped into it as, you know, a, a process. It wasn't just like night and day. Hey, uh, today you're this and you had no preparation. Like, I'm sure he's been part of the process even before this started. But right. He's sharing his thoughts on where things are going and kind of allowing people to see a peek ahead. And that allows people like you and I to kind of break it down and think about it and how does this impact things and really kind of go over some things and raise some questions. And I think that that's a really cool thing for a developer to be willing to do. Right. I, I completely agree with that. And especially like, it's kind of nice to see that now, and I mean, I could be totally wrong on this, but you know, they kind of, got an entirely new team and I've never seen so much shake up so quickly. Yeah. And he's just like, we're going to, we're going to do all this differently. We're going to, we're going to shake this up. We're going to shake this up. Uh, what pro league doesn't like this. Eh, we're going to shake it up anyways. So I'm, I'm actually curious to see how things continue to go in the future. So it'll be awesome. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so then the, the last thing about this article, this is the very last uh, mm-hmm. thing that that's in here. Um, and this isn't necessarily a big reveal like that last paragraph was, but uh, they say in another big year five announcement was the reveal of the arcade playlist and the golden gun mode. What is the team's approach to limited time events and special modes? Lee responds to have fun, try to bring something that is as fresh as possible, as new as possible. That's why we split events into two categories, the main one and the arcade one. Because the Halloween one, Doctor's Curse, and the Cowboy one, Showdown, are super costly. It's not only pure gameplay, you also have a map, event mode, and stuff like that. There are a lot of other variations that we could do, but we don't want to mess with people's expectations. So we realized that at some point, having only one name for this level of variety was putting people in a bad situation, where sometimes they were expecting something more. So that's why we split it into what we call seasonal events, which are not only just gameplay modifier, but also theme, map, art, stuff like that. And Mm -hmm. then the arcade modes, which are still, I think, interesting and fresh to play. He goes on to say, Siege is so serious, so competitive, so tense. The idea of events and special modes is to have something in the game that allows you to relax and enjoy playing with your friends without the pressure of performing, being on the top, etc., and still stay in the same ecosystem with operators that you love with environments that you love, but in a context where it's okay to do funny things, to not be the best, to laugh, to try and experiment and stuff. What we saw with newcomer and casual playlists is that as long as you are playing the same game mode with the same operator, people come with different expectations, and there's no way to allow you to experiment in those kinds of playlists. So really for us, events are the places where you can relax, do funny and silly stuff, and there is no problem and no one will report you because everyone expects it to be fun and not serious. So there are not people that try hard and are disappointed that you're not trying hard. And that's where the interview ends. Mm -hmm. So he just sort of wraps up a little bit on the thought process behind the arcade playlist and uh, versus the special events. Um, Nothing super revealing there that we didn't kind of already know about. Again, just maybe a little bit more of a peek behind the curtain as to what the thought process is, but I didn't find anything particularly revealing in those last uh, you know, two paragraphs there, but yeah, for sure. Again, just overall really cool. I, I don't know that I've ever seen so much open access to the thought process. Um, the development team has previously shared like 
we made a decision. Here's why we made it. So it's like retrospective thought process. But uh-huh. what I really love about what I'm seeing from this new creative director is that it's not just retroactive thought process. Here's why we did something, but here's where we're going to go with some uh-huh. things. And it's that, that looking forward. That's like, Oh, that's interesting. Maybe it's even scary. Maybe I'm kind of dreading it. Maybe it doesn't make sense to me, but then, you know, as, as more of the look ahead is seen, then you, you know, like I said, maybe this week's information sort of answers that information from, from two episodes. Right. We're like, wait a minute, why does attack mm-hmm. get to change? But defense doesn't. And then we see this, we're like, Oh, maybe that's the answer to that question. You know? Right. So. Yeah. I do feel like he is a lot more, um, open with details than previous. And it almost kind of seems like before it was always like, here is what we came up with. Hope you enjoy it. And now it's like, okay, everyone sit down. Here's what I have in mind. Right. This is what I think we should do. And I really, I really appreciate like it. Obviously I have, uh, I'm not part of this at all. You know, I just play the game and I just talk about it on this podcast. Um, But just like reading that interview um, and watching the video that they made, you know, a couple of weeks ago, it's just like I feel more included than I have ever felt in this game. And that's a really cool feeling as a non pro or a non streamer and Mm -hmm. you just being an average run of the mill player. That's mm-hmm. a place that you're probably not used to feeling. Exactly. I've I've never once felt like my voice mattered in this game. It was always pro league or nothing. And now it definitely feels like Leroy is like, this is more than just a game for pro league players. There is a large community here. Everyone in this game matters. Let's find a way to make the core game still what is appealing to those pro league players, but let's make this game appealing to everyone because at the end of the day, you know, pro league is only X amount of teams, X amount of players. And then there's hundreds of thousands of other people out there trying to enjoy this game too and not all of them are trying to be in pro league exactly (laughs) by a long shot by a very long shot now i also want to throw out there though that like i met the original creative director xavier maki i i actually spent a week working with him in the road to montreal event i was in montreal for a week worked hand in hand with the development team uh like I, I spent like 10 hours with the development team on a daily basis for yeah. six days in a row. Right. For so sure. I spent a lot of time talking with Xavier. Uh, we even had some one-on-one where just he and I in a room talking about some mm-hmm. concepts. And this is all pre-alpha or I'm sorry, right. no post-alpha, pre-beta. but pre-beta. Post, yeah. Um, I spent a lot of time talking to him and Xavier, my key was a really nice guy. He, and he had very thoughtful like, you know, he it's not like he was just doing stuff willy nilly. He had a very this whole thing exists because of his concept. And um, I remember, you know, like a lot of it I can't talk about because it's NDA. But one one of the things I could say is like he had this original concept that he showed where it was like a castle 
uh, it was like a sketch out of a book or, uh, or may, I, maybe he made it, but I don't think so. I think it came from a book or something, but like basically it showed like a, a castle with defenders on the ramparts and then like somebody coming up to the castle draw bridge with a battering ram. And his whole mechanic was like, what if we made this into a game where you have the defenders protecting a place and the attackers assaulting it and trying to crack through those defenses? What if we made right. a game based around this concept? And then, like, he kept these, like, development diaries where he would handwrite notes or he would he was also an artist. Uh, in fact, I think he was formerly um, uh, like the lead artist on like Ghost Recon Future Soldier or, or one of the Ghost Recon games. Uh, nice. So he he was definitely an artist, too. So he would sketch his concepts yeah. in there and stuff like that. And he, and he would pull out these books and he, he'd open them up and there's all of his handwritten notes and all of his hand drawn pictures. And so he had really excellent ideas and like siege is what it is now because of him for sure. But this, this new direction is also a breath of fresh air in a different right. way. Like I, I just, I don't want to take anything away from the original guy. Cause he was, yeah, great. for sure. For sure. Yeah. I guess, you know, when, when I'm, you know, complimenting Leroy. It's not, it's not that I thought that this game was trash and that it needed to be completely fixed. Like I appreciate the game as a core game as the core game that it is. It's amazing. I'm so glad that you, you know, and some of our friends got me into this game. Uh, like my life has changed because of it. Um, but yes, just like everything in life, certain things get stale, you know, certain people stay, on that same mindset mindset and sometimes it's just good to have someone with fresh eyes come in and shake things up a bit well and i think what you just said uh like i feel like there's a rut that got hit where mm -hmm. things got maybe just got a little stagnant like okay yeah like we we're trying to chase down the esport thing the pro league thing and like it needed to be molded into something because when pro league first started in in year one like it was really rough there was mm -hmm. a lot about it that just wasn't working so great. And there was a lot about pro league that actually did bring about a lot of great changes to the game from balancing perspectives, um, from operators to maps and, and gameplay mechanics and things like that. I'm not saying listening to pro players was a bad decision, but it did get to become like the rut became chasing the pro league, uh, yep. chasing like this, this is all that exists in, and we're just going to keep doing what what this is and going round and round in the same circle and now i'm feeling like i'm i'm beginning to hear things that are like oh different ideas going back to things that we wanted to do from the beginning and never really got a chance to flush out because the game was coming out and we were under crunch or you know various other limitations mm -hmm. you know and then i take a look at what they're doing they're like like everybody hated operation health right everybody's like oh god operation health is the worst thing ever no new map no new seasons i, I still want that polish map by the way so uh, <laughs> if any dev listens to this there is a polish map i still want to play it's like the lost map um but <laughs> uh you know when they did operation health though everybody hated it but yep. people that actually took a step back from the emotional feeling of like no map no operators rah, me angry um if you could take a step back from that alpha packs were something that really gave a new dynamic to the game that was really good one step matchmaking from how matchmaking was before one step matchmaking right changed fundamentally changed the way that matchmaking occurred and made the game so different i remember still having 20 minute queues to find a game and in those 20 minutes 
people would be joining on the orange team and joining on the blue team. And then you'd be checking their, their stat level and be like, people would be like, Oh, that guy's a diamond. I'm bailing out of this match, quit and disconnect. And Oh, we almost had a full team of 10. Now we got to, mm-hmm. I mean, like I remember how bad matchmaking used to be. So when you look at something like operation health, where it was like, it was growing pains, but they were needed and they address them. I look at that exactly. with what they're doing by going to this one operator system instead of two operators per season. Everybody's like, less operators, bad. We're getting six this year instead of eight, and we're getting four next year instead of eight. Yeah, but look what they're doing. They're addressing right. those core gameplay mechanics. We're saying, we're going to do less. We acknowledge we're doing less. Here's why we're doing less. We're readdressing core gameplay. And these are the things we're hearing. This new prep phase, the way droning is handling, changing an operator after you drone, maybe being able to remove a reinforcement that you've already put up, map 2.0 or ping 2.0 and map replay mm-hmm. and, and map pick and ban. And like, it, it's like, well, like if this is what you want to do, you know, then yeah, I'm fine with having half as many operators if you're yep. putting this much expansion into the concept of the game you're breaking that rut you're getting out of that rut exactly you know i i 100 agree with that (laughs) and it's almost like you know that that rut you know you run this game you know you're running like x miles an hour you know you're running 50 miles an hour down this road you hit this rut and you're just stuck and then all of a sudden it's gone and now you're going 100 and it's it's almost like I, I know I've said this before too, that like in, in more so with the new operators that have been coming out and stuff that it just feels like a grind. The game is stale and it's, it feels like it has life again. Yes. You know, it's in, in, in that unknown that used to be kind of so dreadful is actually exciting. Mm-hmm. And I haven't felt that in a long time. Yeah, and I I think it goes back to what I was saying about about necessary growing pains, right? Mm-hmm. Like some things have to happen even though they're not the greatest experience to go through. You know, people were like, oh, it's really bad to have, you know, like we were getting a new map every season. Now we're only getting one new map for the year and three works. Now we're not getting any new maps for the year and only reworks. But it's like, you know, you have to take a step back and go, yeah, but you couldn't keep that up because what were you going to do? Have... 56 playable maps by season 10, you know, like that wasn't going to work, you know, like you got to take a look at other systems and same with the operators is like, you know, yeah, they're doing less operator releases. Now they still want to get to a hundred. So I imagine they're going to ramp it back up beyond one after maybe in season seven, but uh, or year seven, but um, you know, they're willing to take that step back and say, okay, you know, let's, let's change some of this up and let's make Mm -hmm. it better. And uh, I mean, that's just the coolest thing ever. So, absolutely. Well, I think that we've covered a lot in this episode uh, from this interview and some of the other things that are going on. I do want to reiterate that with everybody going through, uh, you know, the changes that are going on in our country right now uh, and indeed around the world. Um, Mm -hmm. that, you know, we will probably have more people active in the game, uh, but we will also have uh, not only personal hardships, but, you know, we may also see some growing pains in the game too, between smaller patches or maybe, you know, overloaded servers or whatever. But I think as a community, it's a, it's a great time to kind of come together in this experience. 
and if you want to be part of our larger experience uh, of community, you can also feel free, if you haven't already, to join us on the Rainbow Six Radio subreddit. That is uh, Rainbow Six S-I-X, not the number six. Rainbow Six Radio subreddit, and you can post a uh, question and answer for us over there. Uh, we will uh, select some of those questions and answer them in future shows. So yeah. feel free to share with us over there. And Captain and I do uh, interact with the people on our subreddit. Absolutely. So, you know, if you want to talk to us, uh, we've each answered questions mm -hmm. over there. And it's a lot of fun to be able to talk to you guys directly and interact that way. So uh, feel free to go ahead and do that. And, uh, you know, you can also check us out over on Twitter. I'm IcyCat25 on Twitter. Or you can follow Captain's Ghost, right? Correct. Captain's Cap Ghost. Ghost. And it's Captain like Cap Can. But with yep, a D, but Dan, and, but Dan so D -A -N Cap Dan instead of K. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I also just you know one more time, you know, I we both of us we really appreciate how the community is growing, um, and you know, kind of what Icy Cat was saying too. You know, it's great to kind of reach out and you know have you guys reach out to us. You know, uh, all the communications really awesome. Um, you know, I was even getting a message from a guy from Australia um, last week that was really excited about potentially having the chance to play with us. Um, but, you know, obviously with the time difference, you know, it makes it different. But maybe now, since, you know, some of us aren't working as much, we might be able to make that happen. Um, Small blessings, you know, so, right? Yeah, exactly right. So, you know, uh, th this is the time, you know, to get this community to grow even more. You know, I, I feel like um, it's been a really positive experience for both Icy Cat and me. Um, you know, Icy Cat obviously has his, you know, YouTube stuff that he's already been doing. So he's already used to this kind of stuff and it's new to me so it's you know it's really fun to be able to um just talk with you guys and you know get feedback from you and be able to communicate and just have a good time share some jokes um and everything and hopefully you know we'll be able to get to play with you guys sometime soon and you know just with everything that's going on you know it is devastating so the people that are having the hardest times you know we're you know big ups to you guys we're looking out for you and just hopefully that you know we can all get this through this together as a community and just you know stay positive and you know build each other up very well Thank said you, platinum <laughs> let's go for platinum boys very well said. Well, if you haven't already, then please do go ahead and give the podcast a like and a follow uh, so that you keep up to date on everything because this is a weekly contest. And even all throughout what we have going on right now through uh, the whole coronavirus season and beyond, we will be giving you that weekly content to helping to alleviate some of that stay at home boredom. So until next time, this is Cap Dan and Icy Cat. We will catch you later. This has been Rainbow Six Radio. Be sure to tune in next time for even more Rainbow Six talk, news, and information.